Again, I'm Jason. I'm a compulsive overeater. I, I want to express my appreciation for you guys having me here today and speaking um, and being of service in, in any way I can to anyone who comes into these rooms. Um, I'm hoping even one word of what I say has some kind of positive uh, impact on people. And I especially want to appreciate, uh, express appreciation to Atuza for, you know, inviting me because she, this was a big God shot that she came and asked me to speak today. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. And I've been getting small doses of God's, uh, God shots over the last month or so. And this was the biggie. This was a biggie. This really kind of pushed me in a great direction. So I, I wanted to express my appreciation. I'm, I'm going to speak from a place of relapse. And I'm going to speak from that place um, because I have not allowed that word to come out of my mouth for uh, probably the last six months, right? And I think it has a lot to do with shame and embarrassment and difficulty with dealing with it emotionally and what that means that I have to kind of, you know, get back into programming into a very deep way. And there are some, you know, I'm going to talk about that, the relapse a little bit more, a little bit later. Um, But I will say about that, that... um, you know, it's, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. It's not just something terrible that happened. There are a lot of different pieces of it. And relapse, actually, I feel is going to, in the end, is going to help me if I get deeply back into program. So I just want to put that out there right away. Um, I'm going to do this like a kind of one of those movies that's really annoying in the first 20 minutes, which is like it goes back and then forward and then back and then forward. Okay, so I'm going to do a little bit of that and then hopefully it'll kind of bring the whole story together at the end. And don't worry, you'll know who 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 committed the murder. Okay. so uh, I'm going to go back to I'm, I'm 57 now. I'm going to go back to when I was 40 years old. Okay, and when I was 40 years old, I, for all sorts of reasons, which I, I would love to imagine wasn't about food, uh, I, I needed to do something. I need to make some major changes in my life. I, need, I realized that I was not in the place I wanted to be in so many different aspects of my life that I knew that I had to make all these major changes. And thank God, I did a lot of hard work. And I did a lot of uh, reflection and action and did a lot of important things. But I hit 50 and 51 like a decade later and I was like, I'm still on my knees with food. I'm still struggling. Like after all this change and after all this positive stuff and being in such a better place with so much other stuff, I still was crawling on my hands and knees regarding my eating. And I was like, at a certain point I was saying, Maybe I could do all that other stuff by myself, but this, this is not going to happen by myself, right? And I wish I, I wish I could have said that when I was 31, but I couldn't say it when I was 31. I needed to say it when I was 51, and that's just the reality of the situation, right? So I, I started uh, like kind of um, uh, patrolling my Eskimo. You know, I was like hanging out with him a lot, watching what he was doing. You know, and he had been in program at that point for 21 years. He's been in program now for about 26 years, very successful. And I was just like, this guy's got something I want, right? And it, me, it was all about lurking around him, like kind of, you know, being creepy in a certain way, asking him like a ton of questions, 
finding out things. Like I'm a kind of person who I need to process things. And if all if if things don't come together in the right way with me, I can't move forward with it. It's very hard for me. So I need to kind of put things together. But it took a long time, right? Because when I really started to look at what he was doing, there was a big part of me that was like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. It's totally terrifying, right? What he's doing. And I think I intuitively knew that the minute I started giving to the program and working a program and doing it, that all this other stuff was going to start bubbling to the surface. And I was terrified by that. I was absolutely terrified by that, right? So finally, you know, I, I, he, you know he invited me to a meeting he was actually speaking at. I went with him and I said, okay, I'm in. I can't do this anymore. I can't, you know, I can't do this. And thank God, like, you know, God was right there with me. My higher power was right there with me. My higher power found me the most awesome sponsor. My higher power found me a home meeting where I could really do service. It was a small meeting. And so everybody had to do a lot, which was really critical. I couldn't just sit in the back of the room and not do anything, right? I had to do stuff. So I, it forced me into that meeting. I created great relationships in that meeting. It was really powerful and, and very personal for me, these relationships I was creating. Um, I was actually calling people, which is like for me, and, and you just so you can tell by the expression, was just like, that's crazy if you know me, that I would like call someone and say, help, right? That's, that's, that's unbelievable to me. And so for the first three years of program, you know, it was just, it was just incredible. It was so amazing. And I would say that like something got burned in the back of my brain, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. Something, my brain does, just doesn't function right when it comes to food. It just doesn't work right. The, me- the, the mechanics of it don't happen right. I call myself food incompetent, right? It's like I can do a lot of things. I'm really competent in a lot of things, and I'm actually good at some things. This is not one of them. This is like someone coming up to me and saying, look, hey, could you go over there and like, go fix that outlet over there? Right? And I'd be like, what are you, nuts? I'm not opening an outlet and trying to fix it. That's, that's how my relationship to food is. I can't ever imagine that I have some kind of level of food competency because I don't. And it's, it has something to do with the way I'm wired and my brain works and things like that. Um, which I'll talk a little bit about my history. I think you'll, you'll see why things got kind of broken in a, in a, in a certain way. Um, you know, part of it at the beginning was a, a big realization for me about food also, which was that it's not a question of if I'm going to be white-knuckling it through some part of the day. It's a question of when. For me, if I have a day where all of a sudden it's 8 o'clock at night and I've said, wow, I, there were no issues today. I just like walked through the day. That's a total anomaly. Okay, that is not my reality every day. Every day there is some moment which is going to be white knuckling it through that moment. And of course, that's when you need to make the phone call. That's when you need to text. That's when you need to do something. And that for me is really part of the big challenge is identifying that moment and then doing something about it, which is not me. Right. Because if it's me, it's going to go south very quickly. Okay, so I need, I need someone else to step in, and that's when program is so critical. I need to go meditate. I need to go read. If I can't read, some, read, read someone, 
I need to go do something that's going to be not me and not food. Okay, so that, that's kind of how that lays itself out. And that was a huge realization for me in the first three years of program, you know. And then the pandemic hit. And I got slapped around in a really big way, in a lot of ways. And, you know, you know what's, what, what's it? I lost my sponsor. By no one's fault, I lost my sponsor, right? Right basically at the beginning of the pandemic, pretty close to the beginning of the pandemic. Um, my mom died. My mom died of COVID in March 2020, okay, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I lost my home meeting. My home meeting disappeared, right? And I don't know about you, and everyone's different, and I appreciate it, but the Zoom thing ain't doing it for me. It's just not doing it for me. If I have to force myself into Zooming, I need people. I need people because I know my impulse is the opposite, right? To say I don't need people. So I need a meeting, and I need to be in a room with people, right? So that's, that's a really critical part of program for me, and I lost it. Right? I was sitting on Zoom like, this isn't working, I'm, I'm struggling, I was even trying to lead a Zoom meeting, I was doing everything, and it was just, it wasn't happening. You know, it was really, it was unbelievable, unbelievably painful, and then I saw myself slowly starting to crawl back into myself, you know, over this time. I was crawling back into myself, and, I was, and, and something else happened, which I, I didn't realize really until I was walking here today. So that, again, the God shot, right, of being and leading a meeting and being of service. What, you know, what I really realized happened on a certain level during pandemic, which, and then coming out of pandemic, uh, was that, you know, A, all the pieces were not totally in place. You know, that's the first thing. Right, I had to admit that to myself that all the pieces were not necessarily there, and I was I was working hard, I was trying, but with all the progress I had made, it takes a long time to really work a great program. It really does for me, at least. It really does. Some people, man, they're gangbusters, and for the first month, that's not me, right? So part of it was admit, admitting that there were still pieces missing to the puzzle of being in program, right? And being in that kind of space about it. The other thing is, is that, to be quite honest, I was just, again, I was just working that hubris so hard, right? I do this journal I write every morning, and I do, a, which I really recommend. It's one of my, it's, it's one of my go-to tools. It's been incredible. It's a, a journal where you write for five years in it, and every day of the year has a different entry for the journal. So you write in that day entry, so you literally, by the time you're done, I'm in my fifth year, you see the entire five-year pattern of that day, okay? And so I'm, I'm on year five, I, I not only write my entry, I also go back and read the last four years of that day, right? And I think what I don't want to admit about what those times were was that there was so much me in there getting in my own way. There was so much stuff about my own hubris and my own desire to, to think that I could do this on my own. It's on the page. I can't lie about it. It's written there. It's evidence, right? I'm like looking at it and I'm like, it's like a blinding white light, right? But it was a big realization this morning and I was, I was really reading it and I was coming here 
the patterns are still there. And, and, and thank God I had that journal to help me to see that, right? To be able to read that and to see that. So that's a, that's a good thing that's come out of this in a certain, a certain way. The other good thing that's come out of it, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute because I think it's important. So, you know, now we're going to, you know, that's, that's now. Now we're going we're gonna to go back to when I was eight. Okay, now the movie's rolling back up. It's perfect timing, right? If anyone hears Hollywood, I, I'm copywriting this story. Okay, so don't. So I want to pass around a picture of me when I was eight. Okay? Now, this is, I'm pretty amazing looking at this point in my life. Okay, I'm eight years old. But the shirt is what really, I've got to find that shirt. I've got to know who makes it. I need a shirt like that again, all right? It's like 1972, 1973 shirt, right? I've still got the long hair, right? We're still, we're still in that time, right? But like at this point, I'm like this chubby kid, right? And when I look at that picture, the one thing I know for certain is I did not have a compulsive eating problem at that point. I did not. I was a chubby kid who was eight or nine years old. And then my father, who was a bit older, my father was like 10 years older than my mother. He fought in World War II. He's very different generation, right? Very stoic, quiet guy, very, you know, kind of bright and um, just amazing person. He was an amazing dad, too. So he really decided that, you know what, I'm going to be my son's higher power. <laughs> Did he, did he know that? Of course not. He didn't know that. But that's how I interpret it. He said, I'm going to be my son's higher power. For a year, he took me, and he really walked me through eating. He walked me through eating. And he showed me how much. He showed me how to eat one meal. He showed me, he just, and it was in the most loving way possible, often without any words. He didn't have to say anything. He would just, he would just approach me, and he was just, it was unbelievable. Right. And I lost I lost a lot of weight. Right. By the time I was, you know, a year from there, I was, you know, I was OK. I was I was on my way. Right. I was a young man. I was I was very physically active. Right. So I was it was going to be fine. And then my father got very sick. And he got very, very sick. Right at the moment, everything started to come together. And within six months, seven months, I saw him deteriorate. I saw him deteriorate in our house. I saw him deteriorate in the hospital. He had been a big smoker. He got bladder cancer. He was, you know, at that point, they didn't know what to do with any of these diseases. Um, And I gained all the weight back in that period of time. And I walked into the hospital room. This must have been about a month before he passed away. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I see you've gained the weight back okay that's when things broke that's when things broke and I never I never really recovered I never was able to find ways to calm myself down without having the food the food was a tool to relieve all this this enormous trauma and anxiety over what I had experienced over the last you know six or seven months and there was no intervention. No, there was no one there saying, Jason's not doing okay. You know, there was no one picking up on the signs. My brother, who was older than me, also like a brilliant guy, unbelievable human being, he had mental health issues. 
So my mother, this single mom who's barely getting by, and we were barely getting by financially, she dove into him, and that's where all the conflict was. That's where all the, you know, the energy was. That's where all the hand-wringing was. That's where all the love was. And I was kind of like the normal one, right? Um, and, then, and then the binge eating started, the really severe binge eating. And that went on for a long time. Um, I had to moderate it because I became um, a very good athlete in high school and college. And I was recruited to go play at a college for sports. My grades were not getting me into any kind of decent school. The reason I got in was because of sports. And my mother was thrilled because that was one less craziness to have to worry about that I was gonna actually go off to college. And I went to this college and, you know, probably like a year before because of the sports again, I had lost all this weight, but I was still doing sick binging, blackout binging, right? But in college, what it turned into because of the sports and two days every day, it turned into binging and severe restricting. So I would come into practice two weeks before school started and I would be 40 to 50 pounds overweight. I would strip it off through severe restricting and the exercise that we were doing. I would maintain that. But like we would go eat as a team for dinner. Often we would go to the dining hall together and eat together. And most of the guys were keeping on weight. But it allowed me to sit there and do my typical binging because everybody was doing it. Right? But I got to hide my binging, my severe binging. Right? So I went through college like that season would end in March. And then I would gain the weight back. I gained, you know, 50 pounds back, 40, 50 pounds back. And that, that was a cycle I have lived in. I've gained 40 or 50 pounds probably 16 or 17 times. Okay? And, you know, it was always in the background when I got married. And then when I had kids, I was like so embarrassed by it that I, you know, it became like kind of strategic Severe binging. I was so ashamed of it and unwilling to talk about it that I had to really hide the fact that I was binging like this. And so it, it could only five minutes. Thanks. So it could it could only be at certain times, right? That I was doing it. And so I was navigating all of that as well, which was making me also ten times more exhausted, right? I had a very at certain points I've had a very high profile job. And so also the vanity was kicking in, like there was always this feeling like I was walking around and there was body dysmorphia and people were looking at me. It didn't matter how much I weighed. I always imagined that people were looking at my body, right, for sure. And all of this was kind of going on at the same time. And then I got into program and all of a sudden I started to meet people who had, you know, like you all know, we all, like the same stories. You know, same sort of things. And all of a sudden, I had people to talk to. Right? I had people... My first meeting, my home meeting, was also an anorexic and bulimic meeting. That was really important at the time because I was such a severe restrictor that, boy, if I wasn't there, you know, I was there mentally. There's no question about it. I might never have forced myself to throw up, but I was exhibiting, like, kind of, like, pro-Anna behavior for years, you know, the way I was restricting and eating, the way I was doing it. And, um, you know, I, so 
so when I got into program, like all of a sudden I'm having these conversations that I've never had in my life. I've got, I'm talking to people on the phone. I'm talking to people in program. I'm all of a sudden opening up in all sorts of ways. And all those fears that come on the surface, all that pain and suffering is rising right to the surface. But I would never go back. I would never go back. And I tell my wife this all the time. I say, my life is so fundamentally better because I have program now and I'm in program. I have accomplished things over the last five or six years that I would never imagine that I would have been able to accomplish. I took risks that I never would have taken if it wasn't for a program because I dealt with all these extreme fears, right? One of them was about money. Maybe I need a, like a money program also, right? They say, you, you know, you, if you're not in three programs, you're like, you know, you're in deluding yourself or whatever, <laughs> right? So, but like... I was so scared of money because I had grown up so on edge financially all the time that I was never, even if things were totally okay financially, I was never willing to take any risks because I was so terrified that I was going to fall back into that poverty again and fall back into those money problems. So it really, dealing with those fears is something I'll never go back to. And that's something that has not gone away just because I'm in relapse, right? I'm in relapse, but I'm not binging the way I did before. No way, not even close to what I was doing previously. I just don't do it, right? And that's what I mean by program got burned into the back of my brain. There are certain pieces of program. I have not gained 50 pounds again, right? And that probably makes it even harder for me to come to a meeting and say, I'm in relapse, right? Because what's the problem? You know, I haven't gained all the weight back. I haven't gained everything back. But I don't want to go back to that place again. You know, I really don't. And maybe maybe having more meetings, maybe tolerating Zoom more, absolutely finding a sponsor. I need to find a new sponsor. I've been putting it off for two years. I've been, and I, I've asked people and they have said no for very specific reasons. And I've had to deal with that. Right, which is horrible and terrible when you finally get up the courage to ask for it that you finally ask for. It. So, I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm recommitting to my abstinence. And my abstinence is no lying about food, no binging, no hiding food. If I'm going to eat something, somebody's going to hear about it. Okay, somebody's going to know that I'm eating that food at that moment. It doesn't matter if it's in the most public place. It doesn't matter. I need to find someone who understands why I'm sending them a picture of frozen yogurt. That's a program, right? So no lying about food, no eating from garbage cans, no eating when I shouldn't be eating. My abstinence now is three meals a day. Three meals a day. (laughs) Nothing in between. Right, because I can't handle it. I can't, right now especially, I can't deal with it. I need that space in between to have to deal with my fears and my difficulties and and reach out to people and force me to do that. I cannot be snacking throughout an entire day. I need to eat a meal, stop, eat a meal, stop, eat a meal, stop, close the kitchen at seven o'clock, walk out, and the kitchen is closed. I don't come back in for anything. Okay, if I need something, my wife will go get it for me. If it's in the kitchen. She's glad to do that. Okay. So just one, 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 last, one last sentence, okay? 
God, I mean, God is always in my life and my higher power is always in my life, but excuse me. I'm reinviting my dad back into my life again. Thank you for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are, of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay, and I'm to restate the question. Thank you. Um, write it down. With, with your desire uh, that you said your need to put things together for them to make sense for you, for you to take action, how are you able to surrender to faith and to God's unknown will? Right. So that's that's a really great, great question. And I would say one of the things I needed to stop doing, and I learned this in program also, was I needed to stop thinking about what tomorrow was going to look like. I needed to start worrying about today. And when I started worrying about today, that's when I started to realize that part of putting all the pieces together was every, everything's not going to be perfect all the time to make a decision and take action. Sometimes you have to take action on something and not, not all the pieces are put together. It's today, right? You can't wait along the line. You know, I say, you know, I, I say, it's a thing in program. You know, it's a million dollar program, but you get it a nickel a day. Yeah. ask that um, I, I, I really think it's about again going back to my definition of a higher power and God and part of that is I do believe in a God with a big G you know so that makes it easier on a certain level to put down my ego another thing is that I believe God is like the space in between me and you that's what I believe God is there's this space that's created and that when I'm in when I, when I put myself in relationship with people in program or outside of program and I'm vulnerable to them, God's right there, you know, and all of a sudden God, you know, there's, there's both benefits and uh, drawbacks to having God feeling like God is right next to you all the time, right? And one of them is that ego piece. It's just like you got to, you know, put things in place. Yeah. I have a question. Um, thanks for your lead. Just from somebody who's been there in the past, when you talked about how you're ready to be out of relapse, what do you think that process is going to look like for you to snap that? Program. I, I can't, I can't, I, I find a sponsor, connect with people in program, call them when I need them, write, um, <laughs> meditate. Listen. Practice, bless you, practice program, do the steps, right? And go to meetings, go to meetings. Like meetings for me are a bottom line thing now. I can't do this without meetings. Um, they're, the, they're like the start gate of the race, right? They're not necessarily mean I'm going to finish the race, but it is where I start. 
and then um, and then from there everything else and and step work you know I was like you know in step six and seven with my sponsor when things all went to hell you know that's a rough that's a rough you know step six and seven that's a rough place to be right so I need to get back into that I may need to start from the beginning I might need to start from scratch and just work my way through it again but do step work yeah um, uh, I thank you. Um, three years ago. Oh yeah, I, let me repeat the question. Just like if this was a regular meeting, and I and I wasn't leading, right? Would I be upfront? Would I be sharing? Would I be of service? You know, let's get real, right? Uh, the whole piece of it. And my answer to that right now is that I'm working on it. I'm, I'm getting myself to that place where I can share at a meeting. The meeting I'm going at right now, especially on Sunday mornings, is a very big meeting. And so it's intimidating for me to get up there and kind of speak in front of people. But I know this is a piece of it, right? It's a piece of program. That's what I, that's what I mean by meetings here, 100%. Hundred percent, right? That's why this is such a god shot. Yeah. Uh, thank you for your thing. Uh, do you still have delusions uh, in your life or about the program that you still hold on to, and, and that you're still trying to maybe work through? Or, and if so, how do you deal with it? I am delusional most of the time, particularly when it comes to food. There's no question about it. I mean, um, I, you know what I'm still doing now, even with my three meals a day with nothing in between. I, again, this is about having a sponsor again. I'm looking at my plate and I'm just like, is this what this is supposed to be? And I'm, I'm honestly asking the question because I don't know. And I, I, I just, is it too little? Is it too much, right? And, and the problem is I'll go in either direction, right? You know, I will always do the thing that my will and my desire and my thinking tells me not to do. I was to always do that thing. So if it means that I'm in like this restrictive mode for whatever reason, that's what I'll do, even though that's not what I want. And also the overeating, right? So it's gotta be, it's, you know, that's why I need the sponsor. That's why I need the other people because I can't, I don't know what I'm doing, yeah. Hmm? What am I doing? What? What are you hiding today? What do you not want to tell us? What do I not want to tell you? Um, I don't know if there's anything I didn't want to tell you. I, I think I don't know how clearly I expressed how terrified I am. And, and that, is, that is the truth right now. I'm feeling very terrified and scared. That I'm too much, that I can't, I'm too overwhelming, I'm too big, I'm too, I'm too much for myself, and that I can't get out of my own way, I can't get out of my own space, it's terrifying for me.
And there are people who tell me I'm too, you know, they're not telling me I'm too much. They're making me feel like huge right now. And it creates enormous anxiety during the day, which then leads me right into the kitchen. Um, if you're able to go there, uh, can you talk about the, uh, your process of your fourth step and ninth step on your dad? Oh, boy. Um, can I, is it okay if I read the fourth step out loud? Is that all right? Just so everybody knows. Um, make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves and the ninth step, which I've never gotten to, right? But I'll read it anyway. May direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others, right? So, you know, I think there's always the impulse, especially with my situation with my dad, where um, it was, uh, for a long time, it was very easy to blame him for everything that had gone on, right? And also, by the way, blame the food, okay? When back when I was nine years old, 10 years old, the food served a very important function in my life. It kept me together. I didn't completely fall apart because the food was there. The problem with it was it became a sickness rather than a cure, right? It probably was always a sickness, right? But in other words, at that point in the moment, it was like, wow, I'm so, I'm, I'm calm now for the first time all day because I just ate an entire cake or whatever it was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as our kids get older, they often begin to notice our relationships with food. And I'm just wondering how your relationship with your kids has been around food and program and staying out of their business. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's really, um, so I really, I give a, that's a great question. I, I really give a lot of credit to my sponsor on this. She really helped me, particularly when, one of my daughters is like from another planet, the way she eats. I don't know how, where she came from or what. She's just like, you know, I'm so hungry. And then she'll eat down, so she'll eat like a quarter of a sandwich and walk away. And she's done for like six, six hours. Like, who are you? Like I have to watch this, you know what I mean? It was like, it's unbelievable. She's been like this forever, right? So it's never, it's never been a thing. The other one has had food issues, you know? And my sponsor was just like, she was like, it's, it is, you are going to mess yourself up. You're going to mess her up. Stay out of her way. Do not get involved in this whatsoever. Right? If she comes to you and asks you a question, you can answer it. Other than that, hands off. Right? That was the, that was the big, that was her big message to me, and it has worked out well. And you know, my daughter, who does kind of go back and forth about eating issues, she's been able to kind of make a world for herself around this and do it for herself. So my sponsor was right again. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, I'm new to LA, but do you, how often do you meditate or are you on a decision where you change your parameters around abstinence? Right. So my abstinence was really the same for a long time. Then I relapsed, and then I really had to work through a new, a new thinking of abstinence right now, 
right for me that was going to work. I, I find that everyone, you know, one of the nice things is always listening to other people's stories about their abstinence and what they're doing for specific reasons. And I, again, like God showing up, I went on some meeting that was all about abstinence and relapse. And the person, and, and in that meeting, one of the people said, I needed to change my abstinence to get out of this relapse situation. And I was like, oh, there is a light bulb for an incredibly rigid person. I'm talking about me. Okay. Uh, I think we did it. Did we? Five minutes. Five minutes, okay. Do you still get together with friends and family who have known you before you found abstinence, before you came to the program that still bring up sometimes triggers or memories of how you used to be and they're still reflecting the same patterns that you almost want to gravitate towards your behavior? It's an interesting question. You know, part of that is that pandemics eliminated a lot of that energy, right, about being in spaces with people, particularly before, you know, absence of there are a lot of them, right? Um, but I'm, I'm really open with people about being in OA. I'm really about being in a program. I'm really open about it. I don't, for whatever reason, maybe that's the one healthy piece of this, is that I, I, I'll just tell people, look, I'm in a program. I just can't be doing those things. I just, I'm not even going to put myself in that position. And for whatever reason, I, I, I've been very, really open about that with everybody, and everybody knows. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, I just wanted to ask you as well. Do you find, I'm traveling a lot lately, do you find the program looks very different? Like, obviously the routine, I found the pandemic was actually healthy for me because I developed a routine and I knew it was Groundhog Day every day. But the second that the world opened up, literally as well, um, I find that back to really one day at a time and it's really, um, some days it looks stronger though. So do you find when you had your recovery, how was traveling for you? So that's a really good question because I travel a lot for work, right? So, and I didn't during pandemic, right? I was kind of in lockdown. And what happened was I was kind of, uh, there was a little bit of a game that was being played because during pandemic, especially during the lockdown, so when we were really in, I was like, oh, this is going to be great for the program, right? I won't have to go out of the house. And I thought everything was going okay. And then I realized my problem was walking out the door. And so after so many, you know, months and months and months of being inside and with very little outside contact like that, particularly going to restaurants or traveling or whatever, what I found was I had lost the tools to walk outside my door. Right? That's one of the things that pandemic did to me. And I don't know, I don't know about other people. I'm an incredibly impatient person. That's a big problem also. I'm really wickedly impatient. So I can see that in my journal too. I'm like, why isn't all this all back on track? You know, the pandemic happened. You lost, your, uh, you lost your sponsor. Your mother passed away. Why isn't this back on track in six months? I mean, hello? You know, I'm still not really totally back on track. I'm just starting to understand what it means to walk out of the house again. Um, that's that I think is a big part of why I want to recommit to programs so bad because I want to walk out of the house. You know, 
I want to start enjoying my life again like I did when I was deep in program. I enjoy people. I enjoy being around people and things like that. And I got so much more enjoyment out of people. The substance of it was so much better when I was deep in program. Yeah. Um, so how are you defining your relapse? How am I defining it? Yeah. I'm defining it as the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? So I'm trying to not imagine that it's either black or white, right? That, I think, is not helpful in so many ways, and it's also not true. It's not honest. It's not being honest with myself. If I'm just going to say everything's bad now, everything's terrible, that's not true. I have not regained all my weight. I am not binging like I was before. I'm not eating out of garbage cans. I'm not doing all that sick behavior I was doing, you know, for me. It was really sick behavior before I started program. So hold on to that. That's an anchor, right? Okay, so your eating has been very, very imperfect lately, and it's been painful and difficult, and, you know, you haven't been connected to program like I was before, and doing step work and things like that, but... I want to hold on to the good things also. Okay. Thumbs up. Okay.